Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stampley. Welcome to the Gallant Goose and Friends a weekly production of the Gallant Goose Radio Network airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 6.45 Eastern here on TalkShoe.com, program number 139-335. The primary focus of this interactive program is to discuss mortgage foreclosure defense and attack strategies and related homeowner issues with our guests and callers. We come to you from the birthplace of the American Bar Association and the home of Abraham Lincoln, Al Capone, The Untouchables, and Operation Greylord, where the motto is, vote early, vote often, and according to some politicians, even when you're dead. Here you'll find general information about home loans and ownership, notes and mortgages, as well as pointers on lenders, banks, funding, securitization, regulations, titles, credit damage, and more plus different forms of resolution when things go wrong between homeowners and lenders, including RESPA, FDCPA, and tiller rescission. With the help of our guests, we'll try and find general answers to your questions on these and other popular topics. Now please remember, this program is for general information only. No official advice regarding accounting, law, taxes, or other regulated services given here. If you need a lawyer or accountant, please hire one authorized to work in your state. This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stanley, reminding y'all, when it comes to saving your house, don't let the bank of blues stop you from getting all your clues. We thank y'all for being here tonight. Let's try and help each other. Now please welcome the host of the show, Greg the Goose. Welcome, everyone, to episode 49 of the Gallon Goose and Friends here on Talk Show number 139335. Today is Thursday, September 1st, 2016. We appreciate you all being here. Please keep passing the word along to your friends and family so that our flock can grow. Our topic for tonight is revisiting the idea of credit score and credit damage in the wake of the largest financial crime spree that ever occurred on the face of the earth and what you can do to try to restructure your life while all that stuff is going on. Our guest tonight, of course, is uh, a repeat from our past and a good friend of ours, Corey Goldstein from FixMyReport.com. And uh, before we get involved, a few important words. The Gallon Goose is not associated with any other program, law firm, accounting firm, or any other legal accounting or other licensed professional entity and is the sole responsibility of the private group of friends which constitute it. All opinions expressed are those of the participants alone and no warranties expressed or implied. This call is being recorded for rebroadcast, so we do not recommend disclosing your private contact information. To contact or be contacted by other participants on this call, please email the host and we'll do our best to connect you offline. 
To hear past recordings, just go to www.talkshoe.com forward slash tc forward slash 139335 and select the episode. Also, to read the chat text from any past show, just go to www.chatgrabber.com. Type in our show number 139335 and select the episode. If you would like to receive a weekly email notifying you of the program, please email the host at thegallantgoose at gmail.com with the subject line, Please add me to the goose. To be removed from the mailing list, use the subject line, Please pluck my goose. Welcome back, everybody. Remember, justice should be blind, not you. Realize you are as powerful as the tools that you master. So don't forget to check out some of those tools at www.howtowinincourt.com slash win slash goose. And for those of you experiencing collectors and court cases messing with your credit scores, please remember to go to www.fixmyreport.com for a fast, easy, and final solution to credit score and credit damage issues. For those of you who don't already know, here's a little bit of background about our guest, uh, Corey Goldstein. Corey and his company, FixMyReport.com, have been helping homeowners through his publications and services for over 10 years. Uh, he was voted by Google Plus uh, to have Fix My Report as one of the top 25 most influential pros in 2015. He is the author of numerous books, such as A Special Report on Discover Secret Credit Score Opportunities. Corey says, credit reporting agencies are like referees in a sports game, but in this game, it's your life and your financial well-being. They may influence the calls, but they don't decide the outcome. Negative or inaccurate entries on your credit report can potentially cripple you for years with employers, landlords, insurance companies, and more. Citizens should take the initiative to challenge those bad calls by those blind referees and fix their reports. So without uh, further ado, let's welcome uh, our dear friend and uh, longtime guest and contributor, uh, Corey Goldstein to the show. Hi, Corey. Good evening. How are you? How are you, sir? Oh, every day on this side of the grass. It's great. Indeed. How's my uh, signals? Uh, do I sound well? Do I sound uh, clear? Um, yeah, it's a little bit tough. Okay. You got a lot of background noise going on there. I don't know what that is. So. Yep, that's the uh, background noise. Uh, I um, I just I pulled into a Starbucks to uh, be available for the call, and uh, it is uh, raining really, really bad here. And I'm in uh, South Carolina today and working on uh, some projects. And so uh, I'm speaking to you from a beautiful Starbucks. And uh, so while I'm not when I'm not speaking, I'll put myself on mute. So it'll be far easier to hear me to uh, for you to speak. How's that? Oh, it sounds a lot better right now. Thank you. Um, okay, great. Whatever, whatever that was is kind of like uh, diminished. Um, yeah, thank goodness you're not down in the Panhandle of Florida. You'd really have some rain. Yeah, I saw that. That's terrible. Yeah, and hopefully you're going to get home before it walks its way up the East Coast. <laughs> I think so. Well, I'll be here for a couple of weeks. Uh, taking care of a couple of uh, matters for my family and for some clients. And uh, I look forward to uh, getting back to beautiful, sunny, uh, sunny Southern California. Oh, so maybe next week you can give us a weather report on the hurricane. 
well, um, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> so, um, we had talked a little bit earlier in the week about uh, some of your recent work and discoveries and thoughts about uh, the whole credit thing. Uh, with regards to homeowners in uh, difficulties with foreclosures or uh, lawsuits on credit cards and things like that. Um, why don't you share with the folks uh, what your thinking is, and uh, I'll just let you run for a while. Well, sure. You know, there's so many different things uh, that we could discuss in the area, in the domain of credit, that I really want to... Um, I really want you to, your listening audience, uh, and you as well, to start really thinking what matters most around credit. What are the key things that, you know, if you want to, if you want to be off the grid, right? If you want to be off the grid and you want to, and you're clear, you're never going to deal with a financial institution, you're never going to, you know, get financed for anything, this is not for you because it just doesn't matter. Right, and and so just so we're clear, you know, this conversation is primarily geared towards people and for people that actually have that that have an interest in if you will staying in the system. Okay, now, I'm not a I'm I'm not an advocate of one way or the other. Uh, you know, I'm a, I, you know if I could completely eliminate the Internal Revenue Service, I would do it. I think it is. Just an absolutely horrible governing body. I think the Franchise Tax Board is an absolutely horrible agency in the state of California. Uh, I think that uh, uh, creditors have gotten away with so much uh, garbage against us for so many years, and I'm just just creating that. I'm just you know that is like the caveat, the cornerstone of my philosophy in dealing with uh, people's credit issues. Uh, I look at people as victims uh, in dealing in the credit system because that's the very system that, unfortunately, we were born into. And so I'm not saying that we have to remain victims whatsoever. I, I have personally have zero victimization going on about creditors. I am very interested in uh, giving giving it back to them in any way, shape, or form possible. Uh, and so... Just to lay that footing down, I, uh, I, I am against creditors 100%, or I should say creditors as we know them, right? American Express, Citibank, uh, you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, Union Bank, it goes on and on and on. And I was recently doing a talk in Las Vegas, and in, in preparation for my talk, what I, what I learned really, quite frankly, shocked to a point. Now I'm going to share this with you, and then I'm going to really get into the meat of what I think can really make a difference for absolutely everybody on this phone call, whether you have amazing credit scores or whether you have the kind of credit scores that really need some love, really need some care, you know, and you need some direction personally, whether it's on your mortgage or whether it's on a lawsuit you're involved with, whatever. But keep in mind, I am not an attorney, but what I do know is I know in the trenches warfare fighting with these guys, with with creditors, and what, what can be done about it. So what I want to share, I uh, I lost my train, and I'm going to come back around into the station. So excuse me for a moment. Greg, fill in for a second as I get my, my mind uh, around the importance of um, 
uh, really where I want to go with this uh, in dealing with these creditors. Maybe you have a question that will jog my memory because uh, I, I just there was a path I wanted to go down, a train I wanted to go down, and uh, I unfortunately was uh, distracted by a couple of things that happened here. I apologize for that. Well, we were, you know, in the past we had talked recently about uh, uh, kinds of creditors that exist, like hard money creditors that really give you loans that you know, or small town banks that will put your note or your or your or your uh, obligation in the vault and leave it there, like in the old school, uh, versus all these international bankers who you have no idea who actually ho- owns controlling stock in any of them. And uh, they pass around their brand name, like, uh, you know, like uh, popcorn. And um, just because something's a Citibank or U.S. Bank or something else or Altasource, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're dealing with who you think you're dealing with because they keep selling their name and they keep selling their brand and they do all this stuff so that there's absolutely confusion when it comes to you know, an ordinary American trying to figure out who the heck am I dealing with? Well, this is this is this is very uh, very true what you're pointing to, and that's not only in the mortgage realm, in the real estate realm, that's also in the in the uh, unsecured realm, and uh, uh, unsecured meaning credit cards, lines of credit, things like this, and so. Uh, even though my even though my mind didn't get jogged from that great opportunity, uh, what I will share, I will take the ball uh, and run with what you what you uh, were pointing to. Okay, and I really request that you know your listening audience call in with questions, ideas, thoughts, issues you have that you're being stopped by, you're confronted with, and that uh, you're being challenged by, uh, whether it's your whether it's on the credit side, on the mortgage side. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can discuss uh, opportunities in which to resolve those issues potentially. So uh, maybe I'll share a story, okay? I'll share a story, and, and, and we'll have an opportunity to uh, to see something, okay? So I have a client. Uh, I had a client. He's no longer a client because he's, he's, um, his situation, his scenario is now completed. Uh, so he was a, a medical professional. He's actually a plastic surgeon in Newport Beach, California. Well-known guy, successful, and found himself in a situation that he was working with Citibank uh, as where he had his uh, finances. And he was wooed over uh, to Wells Fargo. Now I remembered what I was going to share about. Come back around to it. And now he, he moved over to Wells Fargo. And Wells Fargo moved over and received approximately a million dollars cash from this doctor's uh, you know, Citibank account. The Wells Fargo guy wooed him over, we'll take care of you, etc. Now, this doctor's got a, a first mortgage. He's got a second mortgage. His first mortgage is $1,175,000, and his second mortgage is $750,000 for a total of $2.5 million uh, between his combined uh, debts on his property. And the property's market value about $5.5 million. So you can see that his loan-to-value was about 50% uh, actually, a little bit less than that. Now, please don't let these numbers freak you out, scare you, or anything, okay? Because if you took a zero off it, you know, or two zeros off it, or added a zero to it, it's just a number, okay? So please don't get hooked by the size of the transaction. The point is, 
Wells Fargo was supposed to, the banker over Wells Fargo was supposed to and was given direction to pay off this loan using the funds that the banker, that uh, my client moved over. The banker failed to issue the funds and pay off the home equity line of credit for $750,000, resulting in the doctor now getting a series of 30-day lates being reported to his credit report, a total of seven of them, and a pending foreclosure. When the doctor found out about it, because the doctor is being a doctor, he's driving his, you know, he's driving his big BMW and his Porsche, he's hanging out with his, you know, lovely girlfriends, and he's living the life, hanging out in the, you know, in the Newport coast, which is the creme de la creme, and he's not paying any attention, and one day he wakes up, he's like, uh-oh, I've been served notice of foreclosure papers, my home is going to sale in six weeks. Now, what does he do, right? What does he do? Well... He can't get financing because nobody's going to touch him, right? He's currently in foreclosure. His sale is six weeks away. He's got $2.5 million of equity. And the only source available to be able to get him money is hard money. And they'll touch him, but he doesn't want to pay hard money prices because they're hard money. It's expensive. But keeping in perspective the amount of equity he has in his property, and my question to you is if you have equity at stake, you would do anything in the world to probably save it. If it costs you a little bit more money, you do the math, you do the numbers, you figure the, the, the you calculate the payments and the figures, and you come to see that, you know what, it's going to cost me a little bit of money to do this thing, but I'm going to preserve my home. Now, what this doctor did, we actually got him a, uh, a second mortgage. Uh, it was a hard money second loan. But on top of that, we were actually able to delete the 730-day late through a direct negotiations process with the bank, uh, with the bank president over at Wells Fargo. Now the bank president, or I should say corporate, in Wells Fargo is located in Iowa, uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And everything dealing with Wells Fargo comes out of that location. Right? Now, if you have a situation that you have a little equity, you've got some equity, you know, there's no reason that you should be, and you want to save your house or, and and you and you don't you you need a hail mary pass and a solution, and the actions that you're taking uh, aren't yielding fruit, right? You you may want to try on an approach around seeing what's possible about getting those late payments actually deleted. Now it's possible, you know, a creditor may have a little bit of a problem if you're currently late, and you don't have any resources in which to come up with or solve a problem. But I've seen time and time again, like this doctor did, even though he had the money uh, and we were able to successfully remove the late payments and bring his credit scores back up again, uh, it was pretty scary for him. And he almost lost his house and he almost lost $2.5 million of equity. Hello? Um, it sounds like uh, at the beginning of the story, he actually, you know, paid that 750000 second off but they didn't record it. No, he, he actually, the bank, the bank failed to uh, pay off the, the mortgage. They failed to pay it off. They, they failed to uh, execute on the instructions. And the doctor, just to add a little twist to it, the doctor actually spent $500,000 of that million dollars for, and he wrote a check to the Internal Revenue Service for back taxes. 
So he only had a half a million dollars left to pay off his $750,000 loan. And the bank would not take that. So is the bank liable to him for that error or that oversight or that? That, 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 that was our position, and that position won. And as a result, they deleted all the lates. They removed him from his credit report and gave us 30 days to pay off the loan. And to um, you know, to, and to uh, remove you know all the late payments, get them out of foreclosure, and get them back on track. Well, that still seems like a poor compromise, considering that uh, that they ran them through the the mill on that. You know, giving them just thirty days to deal with it. They, hell, I would have demanded six months. No doubt about it. Uh, completely agree. And uh, uh, we were given the. Uh, uh, we were given the uh, uh, option that if we needed to extend it, we would probably get an extra 30 days. Uh, but I felt confident being able to get the financing uh, necessary. So, uh, so uh, you know, from a gut level, do you think somebody was after his equity? I mean, think about it. I have hundreds and hundreds of times for my clients, and... No doubt about it. They, there are people in certain levels that want our equity. No doubt about it. There are people inside financial institutions that are watching those things uh, to help their bottom line numbers. And uh, um, they would have absolutely, if, if I didn't get involved in the picture, they would have absolutely uh, gotten his uh, property. Otherwise, he would have had to file bankruptcy to stop the foreclosure sale. And I guess that would have been a, another solution. Ernie, so how did it how did it turn out for this uh, for this uh, crazy California doctor? Well, how it turned out is now his credit scores are in the upper eight hundreds again, the mid eight hundreds, and uh, he has a mortgage that he has a uh, six month payment plan, and uh, we're going to refinance him back down to uh, around five percent. So he can uh, lower his mortgage payments. So he's paying a short-term money. That's a little bit more expensive, uh, but but in the long term, he's preserving a quarter million dollars of equity. Uh, guest seven on the chat board typed in. So what did the the bank do with that money? It was sitting in an account, uh, other than the money that was spent by the doctor to pay the IRS. The rest of the 500000 was sitting in a, in a checking account, in a doctor's checking account. Wells Fargo, the branch manager of Wells Fargo, just failed to do what needed to be done. And I, and I chose this story because to share with you, because quite frankly, number one, I was waiting to jog my memory to what to share, and it's surprisingly Wells Fargo <laughs> seems to be, uh, you know, um, seems to be the... Um, the selected uh, creditors to speak about for me today, and uh, and to let you know that anything is possible. If, if a creditor makes a mistake, it's very difficult for them to ever acknowledge. Okay, rarely, rarely will they ever say in writing, "We apologize, we apologize for our error." Instead, they'll say, "We apologize for the inconvenience." And you could have just spent three years of your life. We apologize for the inconvenience. How, what a slap in the face. So, here's what I wanted to share. 
unless you have something else about this, Greg. Here's what no, I wanted to share. Okay, good. So in my uh, reviewing uh, in creating a talk for this uh, real estate investment group in Las Vegas, uh, my research, uh, I dug in very, very deeply on the credit side of things and on the lender side. And here's just a couple things, you know, that uh, that I saw. You know, if you think about it, how many lenders or how many banks, and I'm not talking um, um, different, uh, you know, I'm not talking about branches. How many, how many different type of banks, different names are there in the United States? Any guesses? I'm guessing 12. Okay. Well, my research shows there are actually 5,286. Now, I'm talking about... Now, I'm not talking about branches. Like, well, Fargo has 3,000 branches. I consider that one. If there's so many lenders, and I got that data and statistics from, you know, a number of sources that are all, and it's actually less than it was in 2006. 2006 are over 7,000 different lenders, different banks. And they consolidated, of course. And as I looked at the top five financial uh, institutions that are being complained against, here's, here they are not necessarily actually in, in the order that they've been reported. Number one is Experian. Experian has, is leading the charge in complaints filed against them by the CFPB. Number, and then, of course, you've got TransUnion and uh, Equifax right behind it. Number four is Wells Fargo. Number five is Bank of America. Right? So... You know, my question is, how in the world, and you know this, this is a rhetorical question, I'm sure, uh, how in the world do things get the way they are right now in this country, right? And I'm going to put that out there as a, as a conversation question, as a conversation point. Like, how did it get so crazy? And now, what is there to do about it? Well, I'm certain that we're all on the edge of our seat. What's your opinion on how we got there? Well, my opinion about how we got there is that between Wall Street and the financial institutions, we have lost control of this country. And now with, the, now with the governmental choices that we have, or I should say the political bodies that, you know, um, or I should say with Clinton and, uh, and Trump, you know, and Obama, it, it's got tremendously messy, far more government than we ever had intended. And so my view in the matter is let's, you know, we could stand up and we can fight for the rest of our lives against a system that's, you know, clearly very difficult to fight against. Or we could say, screw you and win by doing something different. My view in the whole matter is, let's just get wealthy. Let's just get wealthy. Let's get wealthy with real estate. Let's get wealthy with intelligent business choices. And let's really 
you know, make sure that we can access everything we need to be able to uh, get the money we need, get the lines of credit we need, expand our businesses, have a greater and greater impact uh, in the world. And so... One of the greatest criticisms about borrowing with interest is the fact that there are only X amount of dollars in the universe. All right? And notwithstanding all these uh, hyper-monetary activities that they have done through derivatives and everything else to make it seem like there's more money in the universe, that those are just liability accounts, you know, having different debts set up, and it makes it look like there's more money because it's all based on a debt-based system. But in terms of true value... Um, nothing new was created by all those derivatives or anything, just a bunch of obligations. That's all. That's right. And with those obligations, you know, came liens and, and interests and future interests and things. But, you know, how, how many generations down the road? I mean, you know, if somebody was to film a first episode of Star Trek today, you know, Captain Kirk would be sitting on the bridge and there would be a, a coin deposit slot next to his chair where he would have to keep depositing money to fly the ship. All right? <laughs> like a pay toilet. You know? And he wouldn't be yelling down to Scotty to get more power. He'd be going through the crew, fleecing their pockets. Come on, somebody's got some more coins. We've got to put a meter. We can't fly. The Klingons are going to get us. And, and that's how far the debt obligations are going to go into the future. And it's kind of insane because it doesn't mean anything for real. And when you say creating wealth, you know, are you talking about creating true value where you invent something or create something or build something? Or are you talking about the world of Wall Street where, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz where you put on a black robe and wave a magic wand and go, poof, look at that. What are you talking about when you say wealth? I, I'm talking about adding value. I'm talking, talking about building something that they got longevity to it, continuity to it, long term to it. I'm not talking about you know um, this wall, you know Wall Street stuff. There, you know, the, the, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about actually building something that you're proud of, building something that has value, building something that creates income, building something that is sellable. It's marketable. It's got, you know, value beyond you, value to your family. That's what I'm talking about. That's but who, the opportunity. Who are we going to sell it to if the ordinary folks don't have any money? Who doesn't have any money? Oh, half the country. I mean, they don't have any possible income. I and mean, they're, you know, you know, nobody ever wants to admit it, but... Uh, I think a great deal of America is living, you know, within two weeks of starvation and bankruptcy. I understand. So if 50% of the people, so there's, what, 450 million people, some, something like that in the, in the United States? Something like that? So if 50% of them don't have any money, that still leaves 225 million people that do. And of those 225 million people that do, 
there's probably five, ten, that have 90% of it. The remaining balance, the remaining balance, far, you know, uh, the remaining balance, uh, you know, has a very, very tiny percentage of their total, total income. Still, there's no reason why you, you can't create any, you couldn't create something. You know, you couldn't build something that, that's got a value to it. No, even though the 50% of those people may not be interested in, in your, you know, in your product service, you still have a big audience, depending upon what that is. So we can either get stuck in the muck and mire of it, we can get stuck in dealing with the day-to-day mentality of, I don't have this, I don't have that, life's not working, or we could do something, take action, stand up for what matters, right? Stand up for what, what matters to us, you know, and, and uh, you know, get free. And I know that a lot of you people that listen to your show are standing up against their lenders, standing up against what matters, you know, and, and looking to extinguish their debt. You know, and I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But I also know that it's an enormous time-consuming thing, enormously time-consuming when dealing with, you know, fighting with creditors is expensive. They have unlimited money. They can keep throwing garbage our way to, to slow us down. You know, they can extend it, lengthen the time. I mean, there's so many things that they can do against us. It's, it's, we have to make, my position is there a way to negotiate with them to get them out of our, get them out of our life? Last week I had a client. Two weeks ago actually I had a client. He had a short sale of $475,000 on his the second mortgage on a short sale in Southern California. It was uh, Bank of America. He negotiated the short sale down to $109,000, saving himself three hundred and Sixty thousand bucks, right? And we were able to negotiate it and get it deleted off his credit report for no money. It's gone. It's no longer there. We have a zero balance letter directly from them that says that the debt is paid. There is no further obligation necessary, and he did not get a ten ninety nine. I said that's rare. Well, it may be rare, but what if it was the norm? You know, negotiating with these creditors is something that's extremely possible. Right? And I invite people, you know, I invite people to really stand up for, you know, and the people, of course, that listen to your show and the people that, you know, are committed to follow in a, you know, righteous path. You know, are, are those folks that are standing up for uh, themselves and fighting against a creditor? All I'm saying is that maybe try a different approach. You know, add value. Add value to build something. There's nothing wrong with beating a living daylights out of a creditor. Believe me. You know, believe me. There's a, my wife will tell you, Belinda will tell you, there's nothing more that I love than beating the crap out of Bank of America or Wells Fargo and saving my clients tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. And they can, and you can do that too. Well, another thing is that all these creditors are kind of in bed with each other and they all share some kind of a backdoor database. And they're kind of watching everyone. 
And so the game's kind of rigged to begin with. So how do you find a fair deal somewhere else when you know, even though they declare that they're all operating independently, it's kind of like the airlines using the same uh, reservation service. You know, they all know what the prices are. And so they're, even though it's supposed to be competition, somehow the prices all seem to be the same, amazingly. You know? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't get that. Uh, you know, probably very much in the back room, they're sharing of information. But I can absolutely, with a very high degree of certainty, uh, say that, that we're not, we're not that significant. Okay? We're not, we're not that significant as a, uh, to our creditors. Okay? They're very, you know, for us it's just digits. It's, it's zeros and ones, and ones and zeros. And, um, you know, is this something to point close on and take it back uh, because there's equity in it? Or, or um, you know, do we just want to move something? Do we just want to move this progress? Do we just want to move something forward because nothing's moving? Right? Or do we want to, or do we want to do a foreclosure instead of an in lieu or instead of letting them sell it? Because that way we can collect on a 12-time insurance policy in the background. Come on, you know? I... I, I'm all for that. I'm all for that. But I don't know that process. I don't understand that process. I'm not familiar with it. And I know that uh, many of your listeners probably know that process quite well. So, you know, I would I would really challenge you. You know, I would really challenge you to look at the problem from a different perspective, which is if I could solve my problem now, if I could solve my problem now, if I could substantially negotiate, you know, this, $300,000 debt, if I could settle this thing for, you know, $30,000, $50,000, is it worth it saving a quarter million dollars, $100,000, a million dollars or more on commercial property, residential property? Is it worth it? And I and I believe the answer, in my view anyway, is yes. You know? Uh, and it's not even a principal thing. It's, you know, uh, it's an opportunity, Right? I'm clear the bank have just, just just screwed every one of us on the planet. I am crystal clear that they have just taken advantage of us every single which way. But the fact is, listen, if you haven't sat down and read your mortgage note and read, pardon me, your, your mortgage document or your trustee document, you've probably committed mortgage fraud, okay, based upon uh, how those documents are written. We probably have. If you ever bought a house and said that you're going to live in there and you and you have it, you had it said it was an investor benefit, you know, you said you're going to, you know, be owner-occupied, an FHA loan. But you didn't owner-occupy it. Guess what? You committed mortgage fraud. You know, if you had a loan back in 2005 or 2006, you know, and you said that you had an extra $5,000 of income to qualify for a mortgage, uh, and your loan officer said, oh, yeah, it's no problem. Everybody's doing it. Guess what? Unknowingly, you committed mortgage fraud. And it happens all the time. All the time. I was I was literally in a court case uh, on Monday in San Diego watching what was going on. And this, and this personal friend of mine right, was had been dealing with a mortgage case for the last... Five years. Now listen to this. She 
she is a CPA. She signed a CPA letter saying that she reviewed a client's tax return. She did not review the client's tax return. She received compensation of $75 because that's what the mortgage broker needed to qualify the transaction. She was brought to a grand jury eight weeks ago, testified, lied, lied under oath without, without representation, lied under oath and said that she did do it, and she did. The grand jury moved against her, and now they're looking to incarcerate her for over $75. She has since spent $35,000 on legal fees, and at the hearing, right, at the hearing on Monday, the judge, in his infinite wisdom, really, I mean, this guy was something else, he looked and he analyzed everything, and he said, you know what, this, you've been dealing with this, with the state's attorney for five years. We consider yourself time served. Right. We consider we consider uh, that yes, what you did was negative behavior. You should not have done that. And we can see that it was only one time that you did that. Right. And people and he was saying people are committing mortgage fraud unknowingly. And he spent 15 minutes talking about the lack of awareness. When it comes right around now, my friend, thankfully, she's, she doesn't have to go to jail. She was supposed to pay $40,000 in restitution. She only has to pay $3,000. And she has to actually live in a halfway house for the next three months. Right? Uh, Away from her family. Right? Instead of going to jail for 14 months, which was the, the uh, state's attorney's initial, you know, desire, saying how bad she was and she's crook and she's a liar and a cheat the thief, which is complete crap. She made a mistake, not knowing what she was doing, or if she knew what she was doing, she didn't want to. That was it. For 75 bucks. The system is rigged and it's rigged against us. So what I'm saying is let's be smart and turn the tables. All right. So how do you suggest we start doing that, Corey? For all the folks out there in Well, you know, I, I, go, I go back around to, to dealing with what's the reality, the, the table, right, that, that my, my laptop is sitting on, I know is a table. It's supporting my laptop. It's supporting my, my cell phone. It's supporting my cup of Starbucks coffee, okay? So the, the table in this game, okay, is your credit report because I, I always come back around to it because it's the very snapshot that tells you what's going on with your financial world. Now, that's what that's based upon, you know, the eight credit bureaus saying that there are these things, three of which are the big ones, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, and then Advantage and some of the other smaller ones. But the major three bureaus uh, say, this is what I got. If it's not on your report, it doesn't exist from a credit perspective which means that you could actually go out and do something else, right? You can go out and get qualified for something else. In a couple cases of the people that we have discussed uh, from your show, they were blown away by something pretty extraordinary. They're in the middle of lawsuits, been in the middle of litigation with creditors, and when we pulled copies of the credit report, it didn't show. Why is that? Is it that, that, they, is it that the creditor just basically gave up? You know, saying, well, you know, they, you know, we're not going to, 
we're not going to pursue it any longer or we're not you know, going to do anything. You know, we can say that. We could speculate all all day. All we know well, is not well, there. One the, so one of the things that we predicted or, or speculated on was that uh, they stopped or they started pulling things off credit reports to eliminate the additional liability that you and George talk about with regard to credit damage as an additional suit uh, point and uh, cause of action. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's no longer there. Now, there may be, it may be still very much attached against the real estate, right? But it could be attached against the person, the, the liability. So that's the next step to unwind. I believe, I believe an argument could be had about the validity of a mortgage, such as, you know, in a, in a situation where it's no longer showing on a credit report, is it valid, is it, and is it showing against the real estate? And I believe a title company that, uh, could be worked with, a real estate title and escrow company could be worked with uh, to remove that obligation. And remove that lien against that property, that encumbrance against the property, in order to uh, allow for uh, a sale. Now that's a pretty big statement. Right. So that uh, there's less information about that property out there in the public, so that some unsuspecting innocent third-party purchaser might go ahead and put a bid on it or buy it, not knowing what other stuff is out there in the background. Well, what I'm, what I'm pointing to is instead of fighting against the creditor, now, now listen, this is not some, I really want you to get, this is not some airy-fairy uh, pipe dream, okay? I've closed over $3 billion in real estate loans and have helped 6,550, 60 people qualify for mortgages in real estate, okay? I'm how many not a lender. I'm not a lender. I understand. How many of those are in foreclosure? That's a great question. I, I, I don't know. I don't track that statistic. But what I do know is there's a low... I, I, I rarely get any clients returning back because... because their, their credit has been substantially improved. Their scores are increased, and that's the very thing that's allowed people to get back on track and get up and running again. So I'm really, I'm really curious as to getting a sense of if, if this has kind of stirred the pot in your audience, is this kind of shaking it up a little bit, is this frustrated any of them, is it... You know, we already know that creditors keep us up in sleepless nights. We already know that. We already know that we're staring at the ceiling wondering how the hell we're going to do this thing, whatever that thing is. So has what I've shared stirred anything up? Because that, that is good. It, it, if it had you think differently, that's what I want. You know? Okay, uh, if this is good... If- if this would be a good time, let everybody ponder that for a minute. We'll take a short break and uh, come back and see uh, if there's questions from the crowd. All right, that'll give you time to get a refill on your latte. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. All right, we'll be back in a few minutes. 
Welcome to The Gallant Goose and Friends, a weekly production of the Gallant Goose Radio Network, airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 645 Eastern here on TalkShoe.com, program number 139335. This is your MC and musical tour guide, Big Papa Stanley, reminding y'all, when it comes to saving your house, don't let the bank of blues stop you from getting all your clues. The primary focus of this interactive program is to discuss mortgage foreclosure defense and attack strategies and related homeowner issues with our guests and callers. We come to you from the birthplace of the American Bar Association and the home of Abraham Lincoln, Al Capone, The Untouchables, and Operation Greylord, where the motto is, vote early, vote often, and according to some politicians, even when you're dead. Here you'll find general information about home loans and ownership, notes and mortgages, as well as pointers on lenders, banks, funding, securitization, regulations, titles, credit damage, and more, plus different forms of resolution when things go wrong between homeowners and lenders, including RESPA, FDCPA, and Tiller Rescission. With the help of our guests, we'll try and find general answers to your questions on these and other popular topics. Now please remember, this program is for general information only. No official advice regarding accounting, law, taxes, or other regulated services given here. If you need a lawyer or accountant, please hire one authorized to work in your state. We thank y'all for being here tonight. Let's try and help each other. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. This is your host, Greg, of the Gallon Goose and Friends. We have our guest uh, with us tonight, Corey Goldstein from FixMyReport.com. And we've been discussing elements of credit score, credit damage, as well as some a little bit more lofty thoughts in terms of uh, maybe how to fix our lives from looking at things in a different perspective and uh, maybe even fixing our country. Um, so if uh, everybody would like to, if you have a question, please press star 8 on your phone and raise your hand and uh, you can chime in and say hi to Corey and me and uh, get the conversation going. Not everybody, please speak at once. Star 8 on your telephone. Are you there, Corey? Yes, I am. All right, well, um, we don't okay. have any questions. All right, well, perfect. Well, great. So well, let's, let's, let's look at, let's look at some stuff, okay? okay. Let's look at some, um, let's look at some examples that, um, that maybe people can relate to, okay? So there's a number of things that, uh, I have found consistently that people do that that when done 
actually shoot themselves in the foot. Okay? Uh, and what I mean by that is what they say, how they act, and, um, and what they put in writing. And so, specifically, uh, I was talking to a gentleman a couple days ago who had a medical bill, medical collection was about $9,000. And he said he didn't want to pay it, he didn't believe it was his, and uh, insurance should have covered all of it. And he said, you know what? Screw them. I'm not paying. Pay. And, um, and as a result, uh, they went to collection, and the collection, listen to this, the collection, this was a bill that got sold to a law firm that buys that. That law firm sold it to another law firm, and now this debt, check this out, this debt is now 22 years old and has been earning interest at a statutory rate of interest, and uh, now his total amount owed is in excess of twenty is uh, is in excess of twenty seven thousand dollars, starting from nine. And he wow. called me, right? He called me and he said, "What should I do?" Now it's a very extreme set of circumstances, right? Because debt, uh, this type of debt, should have been should have been extinguished. Four years after uh, the last, the last date, not they not extinguished, but certainly non-collectible um, from a credit perspective. Four years after the last date of activity, but yet it's still being pursued. Eighteen years later, very interesting set of circumstances. Is that legal enough? Can this law firm actually collect? Great. It's an interesting question. I'm sure with with some of the attorneys that are out there listening to this. They probably have some thoughts about that, right? So I'm sure your audience, right? I would imagine your audience may have experienced issues with with creditors that are, you know, pursuing lawsuits against them, that have filed actions against them, that maybe they don't even know actions have been filed against them. This gentleman knew about it, but he chose not to pay it, and uh, and now 22 years later, uh, he's coming after him. Right. In a, in a big way. You know, doesn't that fall into the uh, third-party debt collection? Being able to verify the statement of and whether or not you're contracted with that particular collection agency. You're breaking up a little bit, or maybe I'm breaking up. Can you say that again? Um, doesn't that fall into the category of uh, third-party debt collector and whether or not you have a contract with the party who's trying to collect the debt? Not to mention the statute on it. Absolutely, 100%. All those factors come into play. And so we would actually go in and start looking at all those things as part of our service. But what I'm pointing out to, what I'm pointing at is that's a complex, you know, that, would, that would be a complex case, I think you'd agree. The account has been sold a number of times, and uh, it's showing up on a credit report three different ways. For the same debt, huh? is that fair? Is it reasonable? Well, actually, not only that. Once the original creditor gave it up, their interest had to stop. They can't keep accruing interest as they sell it. That's exactly right. Well, what about the reporting? Is that legal? It sounds like that would be wrong as well. Exactly, but it's happening. So unless somebody calls them on it, what's going to happen?
it's going to continue to look bad for this guy, and it's going to frustrate him. And, you know, some goofball is going to keep calling him up, threatening him. That's exactly right. So if people are calling, if people are calling you, uh, if people are making harassing calls, they're following you to work, they can find you within 200 feet of your home. They can call your neighbors. There's so many things that can be done these days to uh, get information on you. And there's so much that's available to protect yourself. Right? So much available. So, what can we say that's going to really make a difference for your listeners? Because, you know, um, you know, the interest that I have, my personal interest, is that people have real freedom and power around their money and their credit. That is my purpose, period. My mission is to be able to help a million people with their credit problem. Now, am I going to accomplish that in my lifetime? I have no idea. But it, doesn't, but it means I'm, I'm very much committed to it. Right? And so I, I'm really interested to know what's going on, you know, with, with you know, your audience. What's going on that, you know, we haven't struck a chord. I haven't struck a chord with you over there that you're, you know, raising your hand and asking your question. Is your credit looking the way that you want it to do? Are you looking to expand your business and you can't? What's in the way? Right? So one of the key things that people do is they oftentimes contact the creditor and they they end up saying the wrong things. They say things, uh, basically, uh, just, just to be straight about it, what they do is they tell them the truth. Right? They tell them the, the truth. They tell the truth. You don't want to do that to a creditor. You don't want to give you don't want to give them all the accurate information as to why things are the way they are. It's none of their business. They're in direct opposition to what your agenda is. Why would you give somebody all of the right information to use against you? You just should never speak to a creditor to be able to and and, and share that kind of information. It would be like uh, the San Francisco 49ers giving, uh, you know, the New Orleans Saints their playbook just before the game. <laughs> exactly. Why would you do that? Although pe- people do it all the time. And on top of it, they put it in writing. That's the worst thing you could ever do. Put anything in writing to a creditor. Well, after all, the creditor never gives you anything in writing. Why should you be doing some nice things for him, you know? Well, what they will give you in writing, right, is a statement. Or they will give you a denial letter. And it won't be, But it won't be signed. It'll just have a blank thing on the bottom from their company. That's correct. That's correct. It won't be, it won't be signed. Only a valid letter has got a signature on it. Otherwise, it's not accepted by the credit bureau. Right, so basically, yeah, basically, it's just a bunch of uh, posturing, if you will. That's exactly it. You know, we, uh, the, the, as a matter of fact, this letter that I was sharing with you that we got for this $475,000 Bank of America uh, short sale that was on my client's uh, credit file, it originally came back with no signature on it. It had a date, it had an account number on it, which made it valid, uh, although... Uh, when we reviewed it, and you know, after seeing thousands of these things, we know what the credit bureaus are going to accept and what they won't. It was an invalid letter, so we sent it back to them, and they sent us another one, 
again, not signed, and the wrong information on it. So then we contacted them again, because we said, this is not what we've been requesting. Please read the request. Right? They read the request and, and literally called me and said, what do you want? They said, are you kidding me? It says right there what we want. It says, this information is to be deleted from all major repositories, all credit bureaus. And, and he said, well, we don't have any of those types of letters. I go, yes, you do. He goes, I've never put one like the other like that. He goes, can you give me, now this is a, this is a banker. He says, can you give me the exact verbiage that you want? I said, absolutely. Let me, let me speak it to you very slowly and clearly. The, all the information that's currently being reported on the, my client's credit report needs to be deleted. He goes, is this what you want? I said, no. Needs to be deleted. Will be deleted. That's what the information must say. Delete. Right? Now, he sent it over. He didn't sign it. We called him back. I said, we need a signature. He sent back another letter. Now, that whole process took three and a half weeks of back and forth. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. No idea. But the amount of resistance that it took to stay in the game to solve the problem is the key. Every one of the people that are on this call, however there, however many there be, you guys are the friend of the friend. You are the most persistent, obstinate, hard-headed, stubborn people, and I love each and every one of you because of that. I'm that way, too. And so that's the thing that's going to help you be successful and win your case. All I'm, all I'm doing is looking to come from it from a different angle, a different perspective, right? So you can see things a little differently, right? To give you more, give you another, you know, bullet in your chamber. Sorry, uh, somebody put a comment up here. Um, is it true that both the credit reporting agency and the furnisher of the consumer information face liability for inaccurate reporting or failure to correct? Of course they do. Of course they do. There's lawsuits all the time against the credit bureaus. And here's the thing. They're not going to change their systems and processes because to change their systems and processes would cost tens of millions of dollars. So they would rather write a check for a million bucks. To, go, to have you go away. So absolutely there's liability. I have a fantastic video that I could send you back that is an, an interview with one of the 60-minute guys uh, discussing, discussing this very point and what he speaks about on this, uh, this five-minute video will blow your mind because inside of this video he says he's interviewing people in Chile that work inside the credit bureaus uh, reviewing disputes, reviewing client disputes, uh, and they have a responsibility to review 90 disputes a day. And so the CPS interviewer uh, asked the question, were you, were you given any tools to solve any of these disputes? Every one of them said no. He said, were you given a phone number so you can call them to discuss it with these clients? No. Were you, were you given an email address so you could follow up with them? No. What power did you have? Well, the only thing that we did was assess a code, uh, uh, assess a code to it, you know, which is it's disputing that there's like, you know, D10, D11, D12, something like this. They would assess a code to it and transfer it to the next, to the next department. 
That's all they did. And in no case did, did any of the disputes ever actually get resolved in favor of the individual. It always was in favor of the financial institution. And so these people, when asked the question, they responded positively saying that, yes, all decisions were in favor of the financial institutions, bar none. So the, 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 the system is absolutely 100% rigged. And so what I'm saying is instead of trying to beat the system, play inside the game by coming up with, a new, with new approaches and new, a new perspective, a new set of glasses for the problem. Right? Well, it sounds like they don't even know how to deal with things when they're supposed to. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, if you look at it, okay, these companies are, are you know, they're publicly traded companies, but for them to make a change in their processes and procedures would cost an extraordinary amount of money. And as, re- as a result, they don't do it. They just write a, write a check and defend lawsuits. There are tons of lawsuits against the credit bureaus currently pending right now. So, yes, they absolutely have an obligation, responsibility, and they don't do it. 100%. Because they perceive it to be easier and cheaper to just do that. All right. Uh, we got another comment here. Every contract in Illinois contains a covenant of good faith and fair dealing. What about dealing with uh, creditors for breach of their covenant of good faith? Well, this sounds like just a little bit, a little bit more of a legal question, uh, and not being, an, not being an attorney, I don't know if I would uh, answer that uh, consistent with the real question. Uh, when it comes around to, when it comes around to good faith, the concept of good faith, have they acted with us in good faith? Then my response is no. And so, um, why would, why would we? Why would we respond to their demands or requests? Um, well, let me restate this. I'm not looking to. I'm not looking to. This is a caveat. I'm not looking to beat anybody out of any money. I'm looking to play inside the rules of the game. Okay. And so, if your creditors have dealt with you in good faith, wonderful, great. I'm not looking to have you cause them harm or you harm. If they've treated you unfairly, and if there's a breach in that relationship, I think it's, it's imperative as a consumer to do whatever you can inside the rules to be able to have you win. So that's the best, you know, that's the best answer that I can provide, you know, given that, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a piece of paper on a wall that tells me, you know, that how smart I am that I'm, you know, because I'm not an attorney. You know, I, I don't know the answer. I would have to absolutely look at the specific set of circumstances that this person is dealing with to properly come up with a strategy uh, in a response. That's a fair answer. Um, Corey, we have uh, a hand raised in North Carolina. Um, hello, North Carolina. Please go ahead. Hello, Corey, and hello, Great Goose. Um, I'd like to revisit. Yeah, hey, I'd like to revisit the the story of the good doctor out the Pacific way, and um, and the folks that 
I'm going to say the concept of equity sniper, equity sniping. Um, and I'm wondering the kind of intel that you'd have to have in order to uncover the facts on, on something like that. And I'll, the reason is I have a similar situation or had or may still be living it. Um, anyway, our note went to foreclosure eight I'm going to say three or four months prior to um, prior to the, what the paper allowed. This is Wells Fargo. Are you hearing me okay? You're saying the note went to foreclosure three to four months before the paper allowed the paper. You know the, um, the this is a reverse mortgage and. Um, Kind of a similar equity situation. We could have cured it with hard money loan, which, in fact, we did. But um, in any case, um, uh, and I, I guess I'm trying. I'd like to take a breath here and be really clear. Um, Wells Fargo did things that were inappropriate, you know, to bring the note into foreclosure. In other words, they rushed it, and. Um, and I'm wondering how um, how one will go about proving that somebody ducked Wells Fargo or how they how, – how is that even possible that somebody – I mean, I guess this is, this is a guy who has tons of cash and had no trouble buying the note when we did go to hard money um, and um, got – I mean, in other words, we lost maybe million point X dollars on the on the uh, on the deal, on the foreclosure. This and this is a this is a foundation or a nonprofit, however you want to say it. Um, and I was also named personally in the in the foreclosure, but is that is that making any sense, Corey? Or is am I jumping around too much? Well, I'm trying to piece it together. Um, okay. Let, so let me ask you a question. So, um, first of all, thank you for calling and thanks for just being vulnerable and sharing and seeing something, and because I'm just really interested in in understanding what the problem is. So, you had a you have you have a property still, or you had a property? Well, I'm gonna say I I still have an interest in a property. It, we, it went to foreclosure. It went to the foreclosure sale, and um, I'm gonna say the, the the guy with the strong hands got got it. Um, and I know there's a link between him and the and the second note holder, and there are some conversations I'm not privy to. But and I can't prove any of this. But they did a side deal. You know, you should take this property. You could pick up a billion dollars in equity. Um, easy peasy. Uh, and and so that, there's no really strong logic to that either. It's just sort of like, well, it kind of makes sense. And I know there, there was conversations. And Anyway, I don't have any hard facts. But what the, what the really sort of the egregious thing would be if Wells Fargo was the first one to pull that. And oh. it would have been the same party. And it went so fast. I mean, it went so fast. It was just crazy. We could have cured, we could have cured it with some, I don't say proper hard money or or a proper note, or whatever. Curry, yeah. three steps here. I'm familiar with the background on this. Okay. 
Woman owned a bunch of land, put it into trust. This gentleman became the trustee. She then went and did a reverse mortgage on it so she could retire. But it was also simultaneously encumbered to the trust. There was really questions of whether or not she could do that because of multiple encumbrances, and she probably committed inadvertent fraud on the mortgage in doing so, like you were talking about earlier. Um, at, when she died, the uh, reverse mortgage called in their claim, and uh, the trustee went and got hard money funds from someone they knew. Then that party decided to foreclose on the not-for-profit trust in order to sell it to a neighbor who had a lot of money and wanted to do a land grab for the whole area. It's in North North Carolina. And he wanted to be Jed Clampett, if you will. And so uh, the gentleman on the phone is suggesting that there was backroom deals done. The uh, sheriff of the county acted as the lawyer for the parties in direct interest and uh, it was a it was a definitely dirty deal so that's the history of the step by step process he's going to ask he's asking is there any uh, solution for him okay thank you for clarifying that so uh, how long ago was, was a sheriff's deed or a trustee's deed, uh, or an offer and sale, offer and sale deed issued to this new this new party. Uh, Corey, it was roughly two plus years, two years and some months ago that it went to sale. How long? Two plus years. Two years and some months. Yeah. And what, what's the status with the property now? Um, well, I did file paperwork uh, into the to both cases. Um, that, that is similar to a list pendants, which is a, no, a notice of um, interest in the property. Or cited cited the lawsuits. Um, they have, I'm going to say, restored the property to some degree, so it's ready for sale, and they have had it on the, uh, the market. Sell it, and they split off thirty some odd acres um, you know, to make it more attractive. You know, a lower price. But um, and so have you have uh, so you put a list pendants on the the total pot the total property. Well, on the original property. So I guess one of my questions is, should I update that uh, paperwork? Um, Notice of interest. Um, it's not. It wasn't ever a list pendant, but um, should I update that so there will be a cloud on the title, make it difficult for them to sell? Or, I mean, I think my bigger play would be just for money. I mean, just to make you know to make the knock off the hole. Um, in other words, 
absolutely, absolutely, a hundred percent. I would, I would uh, get, uh, I would immediately get connected to a title company, and uh, I would say, hey, here's what I need to do. I, I would have you speak to a title examiner and say, okay, what, what kind of document do I need to do? I need to encumber this property. I need to get in the way of a sale. Uh, I, and I would uh, lawyer up. I, I would lawyer up on this uh, with a real estate litigation lawyer uh, to not only do a list pendants. Um, you know, you have some fraily interest. It sounds like in the property. Well, as a, as a trustee, um, you have some some interest. Was that interest for? Was that interest addressed in the foreclosure suit, um, or was it not? Um. It it was notated, but um, because they required such a high cash bond, uh, I could I could not appeal the foreclosure, and I mean I couldn't get it in time. In other words, um, so there was shenanigans going left and right. I guess I was ill prepared more than anything. Instead of pointing the finger at the uh, at the clerk of court, but um, and the other thing is it it eventually went to um with the bankruptcy to. To upset the, uh, the foreclosure sale, and I did. I'm going to say probably 15 things wrong about bankruptcy, but one is one is enough to make to, to get kicked out of bankruptcy court. But I'm wondering um, if I mean I never was personally um, I'm going to say levied any any. Um, I'm not sure what how, I, you've stated this before, Corey, but you. You get a tax, you, you get a, a tax bill, so to say, for the money that was it was foreclosed against, and they never did that for me personally or for the nonprofit. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's just a an oversight, or is that something I can exploit? Because it seems like it could be hanging over my head, even though they did it, just notice it, or try to you know try to whatever. Let me. I'm going to jump in real quick. Uh, have okay. you thought about? Have you thought about having your nonprofit filed for bankruptcy and having a court-appointed trustee to defend the nonprofit trust instead of you personally? Right, and that was really my my biggest mistake because I didn't, you know, so. Um I like the I like the way you're thinking, and, uh, no, and because when they stripped this asset, they left they they basically took the res of the trust, okay. Well, and if 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 the if the nonprofit and the trust doesn't have anything, it collapses. And so, by by taking that, if you can show that it was not done properly in accordance with the law, and there was anything screwed up at all. Um, you might be able to recover something on behalf of the trust. I don't know if it will help you personally. What do you think, Corey? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I would race to. I would race to the. Um, uh, you know, uh, a title company. Like I said, I would have them do a a, a track a track judgment lien search. Cost you cost you seventy five bucks, if anything. And find out the status of it, and then have an examiner review the foreclosure. And it sounds like it sounds like there's a notice problem. 
And a notice problem is one of the key reasons to unwind a, a key ways to unwind a foreclosure. Failure to properly notice. If you were properly noticed and the trust would fail to have been properly noticed and this, this got pushed through somehow super fast and um, and is uh, let me ask you this. is North is North North Carolina a uh, a mortgage state or a trust state? Um, uh, well, there's there's a statute that allows for whatever six points to be proven. So it's not a not a judicial. Uh, right. Let me look it up real action. quick. I, it sounds it's like a, it sounds like it's a mortgage state. Let me let me just. Uh, Look to the uh, all-knowing Google. Yeah. So they. I'm gonna say yes. Yeah, I'm just uh, just checking real quickly, and I'll put myself uh, on mute here in the background. Well, so Greg and. Corey, I guess one of one of my questions is how to how to do some discovery or how to find out if there was somebody at Wells Fargo that tipped off the uh, the, the first you know the, I guess the, the principal guy to snipe this equity, um, and, and that seems like he had to pay a private investigator to cost small fortunes, but that that information is worth gold, so. Um, to be proven. Well, I, I I I hear you, and I think that's a uh, I think that's a tough battle. I think it's a tough battle because if you're looking to point a finger at an individual or a group uh, inside of a financial institution, first of all, you know it's kind of like it, it's kind of like um, you know how you're looking for another doctor to testify against another doctor. Uh, right. pretty tough right. to do. That, it's a tough one. It, it's a, it's, a, it's not a you know they're a group of they're a group of people, right? Rotten, you know, Small rotten, group. And, yeah. It, you know what I mean? The rotten lawyers, the rotten bankers, the you know the yeah. crooked the crooked folks. They're just they're just they're just in it. So my my theory is, um, you know, to be able to actually unwind it from the back door. Right, the trap door, saying, okay, what really happened here, and then to have a, if you will, a forensic analysis uh, on the actual mortgage foreclosure to see where the breakdown is, if there is one. Yeah. My sense is, based upon what you're telling me, some something something was the closure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so that that's my hunch. It's, it just smells funny, right, from the get-go, and. And this guy is ultimately owner now. And, uh, and uh, go talk. Go talk to a bankruptcy attorney on behalf of your nonprofit trust, uh, and pose the questions to him, and see if he sees any uh, any recourse for you. And because it's bankruptcy court, it's federal court. You do not have to rely upon. The actors that are around you who may be part and party to some of these shenanigans. You could go outside your area. You could go outside your state. 
all right, and talk to a bankruptcy attorney somewhere close by outside your state who could still practice in the bankruptcy court there in uh, North Carolina. Just think about it. Okay. Well, when I did talk to some bankruptcy folks, that one of the problems was cash. I mean, they wanted a, a pretty, even a larger retainer for um, a corporate entity. And, um, and well, I, that, I, that would be fine if going forward, but you're going to tell me they're not going to give you a 15-minute free consultation to explain no, it? No, they would. They would. All right. Um, Get that. Get that done. You know, call three or four bankruptcy attorneys within 200 miles of where you live. You know, find one in New York, find one, find one, find one in a state where uh, they do really well. You know, find a bankruptcy attorney who does really well for his clients because it's not that hard for them to practice over there. Federal. Okay. But, yeah. You know, yeah, I, I would. You know, I would. Uh, I would do that for sure. And I would also. You know, title companies have a lot more power than we think. Okay, they have a lot more power than what we think. Um, you know, every very few actually look at the title company as as a opportunity. I'll tell you, they're the greatest opportunity because you can buy a bond, you can buy a policy. I don't. I, I probably can say that um, the real estate transactions I've personally been involved with, my very first goal, the very first goal I have is when I buy a, some kind of a property or get titled to a property, I immediately run to the courthouse, I immediately call my title rep up and I say, I need a policy on this. I need coverage on this. And, uh, and you know, um, there are a number of times uh, that uh, they have to write checks to make to make it right. You know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because they made a boo boo. So you know, uh, so you know, use them uh, because that's what the insurance is for. It's to make sure you're protected. So I would really find out what's going on on this piece of property. It sounds like it's worth millions of dollars, and uh, I would I would put everything you got into finding out what really happened here. You know who's entitled, how they got entitled, have the examine, have the file examined, uh, find, look at the, the proper notice, look at the service, look at who the judge was. You know if there was a judge, it looks like um, uh, trustees are allowed in in North Carolina, and as a result, maybe it was just a um, it wasn't a judicial sale, but it was just a trustee sale, and um, so there's no court, right? There's no court, and. Um, and so I, w- I would look at that. Uh, I would look at that very aggressively because it sounds like uh, it sounds like there's a great deal of money involved. Right. Well, okay. well, I think that's about as far as we could go without uh, actually opening up your docket and starting reading documents. As far as uh, <laughs> yeah. just shoot up here. Um, uh, so let's. Uh, See if thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, anybody else? Good luck. Good luck. You're welcome. Good luck. Yeah. If anybody else would like to jump in here um, before we go, uh, press star eight on your phone. Um, questions, comments, criticisms, anything you like. Well, I'll tell you, Greg. Just go to show the importance 
of jumping on issues, you know. Just it just goes to show here's a guy that worked very diligently, you know, he took over this property, became a trustee and then and then other people had a different agenda. As soon as you get a notice, as soon as you get a notice, some letter from a creditor, you must respond. You have an obligation to respond. You have an obligation under the law to protect yourself as quickly as you possibly can. And uh, I just, uh, two days ago, I got a $26 collection letter from Liberty Mutual Insurance for an unpaid insurance bill that they sent to collection. Now, I pay these guys 180 bucks a month. Right for insurance coverage on things for cars, and so I, as soon as it came in at twelve fifteen, at twelve eighteen, I was on I was on a phone call with them. You must respond with rocket speed, or they will use your failure to respond completely against you. Now, doesn't it work the other way? <laughs> yeah, it it absolutely does. And the only way to do that, then, is you have to hold them to a whole new standard, which means you must file legal action. You must take action. You can't sit on it. You just, you know, you send them, I don't know what you're talking about, and, you know, they don't answer, they don't answer, they don't answer. And you say, look, you don't answer me. If you don't answer my next letter, this matter is resolved. Done. I, I, I got it until they send another letter, right? Because they just won't respond to that. They just won't acknowledge that to be the truth. They just won't. You and I and every and many people on the call knows that, you know, uh, that is a valid way to resolve an issue is by giving it back to them, saying your failure to respond is just cause for the, you know, for the removal and cancellation of the debt. And then they said another letter. Right? So yeah. then, you, then you escalate, then you have to take it to court. Do something with it. Right, and then you send them a cease and desist. And uh, you send them their notice of FDCPA violation and harassment and everything else, and they keep sending letters. Yep. So you have, you have, to, take, you have to take it in front of a judge. And have established, you know, case law. Now, if you go in front of a small claims judge, that's going to blow his mind. That's going to blow his mind. If you present to him all these pieces of information, say why this debt is no longer valid, they failed to do this. He's going to probably, uh, you know, he's going to probably uh, walk out of there scratching his head. And he's going to look to statute. What have other judges done? Because, you know, these guys don't want to make a decision to save their life. They just want to follow the. They just want to follow, you know. Well, this is what this guy did, so this is what that must mean. No, think a little bit. Read the rules. So you'd have to really prepare your case and really present it in a very clear uh, way, in which uh, you'll you'll come out winning. Well, a lot of the small claims guys in black robes are not even judges. They're just lawyers that somebody said, "Hey, Bob, I don't know." That's right. Yep, that's right. You know, and they're just like judge for a day kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, there's a judge for a day that's been a judge for the day for probably six years in San Diego. And I've I've had numerous uh, complaints in front of him, small claims, uh, that I've uh, been involved with uh, on the plaintiff's side, on the defendant's side, things like that, especially all on the plaintiff's side. And, uh, 
And, you know, he, he, is, he will do things, for example, uh, one of the things that he does is uh, he will let, he will let, he will let defendants back in to a case after, uh, after the drop-dead period, right? You have 30 days in which to respond. A judgment maybe has been ordered, and uh, he will allow that, that party to come back in to overturn that judgment. Completely against the rules of the game. And he does it all the time. So they make up their own stuff. Well, that's really encouraging. <laughs> yeah, so that's why it's absolutely, you know, so important, critically important to just be responsible when something comes up to take immediate action. You betcha. Well, well, do you got any closing thoughts? Uh, we're not getting any other uh, hand raises here, so. Sure. I'm guessing everybody else is kind of happy with listening to where we through on this, and uh, so I'll give you a chance to wrap up before we say goodnight. Just want to always say that, you know, I, Greg, I just want to acknowledge you for the extraordinary effort that it takes every single week to do what you're doing. Because everybody, you have no idea what Greg has to do to put on the show, from guests to technology to preparation to make it happen. And I am, I just, Greg, I want to acknowledge you for keep bringing what you're doing because uh, it adds so much value to people. And I hope this call made a difference and added some value to you because uh, I, my commitment in my life is to make a difference for people. And the domain that I do that in is all in the real estate credit world. And, you know, I, if you think that you have a problem, you probably don't. You just haven't looked at it from a new set of fresh eyes. And I would really challenge you to question your thinking and look at, you know, look at the, uh, look at, look at the issue from a new, uh, another perspective, a different angle. And, uh, if you want to, if you want to kick the tires, and have somebody else take a look at your, you know, situation. Uh, I would be happy to do that. I'd be happy to help to uh, kick the tires on your situation. Absolutely no charge. Just, just to maybe respond and get some uh, feedback to help make a difference for you. That's that's all I have to say in the closing. All right, Corey. Thanks a lot, and uh, everybody. Uh, I'm sure that if you could all chime in, you'd. Uh, Say thank you. Everybody loves you. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot, pal. And uh, you have a great evening. I know you're going to be uh, traveling a bunch on the on the coast over there, and uh, you're short on sleep, so I didn't want to push you too much. All right. Okay. So. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, anybody, everybody, and. Uh, have a wonderful night. All righty. And uh, everybody, that's all the time we've got tonight. You've all been great. Uh, don't forget to check out the comments and resource links that are on the chat board by going to chatgrabber.com, show number 139335, and episode 49 for tonight, plus all the other ones. Uh, thank everybody. I want to thank everybody for coming onto the show sharing your thoughts and feelings. As always, we encourage everybody to use our email 
at thegallantgoose at gmail.com for questions, comments, or suggestions for future guests. We hope tonight's program has been helpful. And uh, on behalf of everybody here at the Gallant Goose and Friends and our uh, guest, Corey Goldstein from fixmyreport.com, thank you all. You guys have a great evening, and hopefully we will hear each other next week. Have a great night. This is the Gallant Goose and Friends, airing live from coast to coast and around the world on Thursday nights at 645 Eastern here on TalkShoe.com, program number 139-335. This is Big Papa Stampley reminding y'all, when it comes to saving your house, don't let the bank of blues stop you from getting all your clues. We thank y'all for being here tonight. I was born in Illinois. In a place they call Chicago I was born in Illinois A place they call Chicago Now see I was still on the city streets With a song to buy but I'm here to tell my story South side in the zone they call the valley. For fun, we bought penny candy, chase rats up and down the alley. I was born in Illinois, in a place they call Chicago. You see, I was schooled on the city street with a strong survivor. Of seven, daddy worked two jobs, mama held it together, walked a mile to school, had to fight every day. Sometimes I kept my lunch money, sometimes they took it away. I was born in Illinois, a place they call Chicago. I always knew I would be a musician. No drug and a thug and doctor and a lawyer for me. I'm gonna play this guitar. I'm gonna make the same thing. I was born in Illinois, a place they call Chicago. I was schooled on the city streets.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 